Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I am one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spropolis, and you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Eric Spiros NBA. Uh, in just a moment, we'll be joined by Corbin Ford, our other co-host. Um, if you missed our previous two episodes, we uh, started doing an episode on Thursday evenings, a, a kind of a 30-ish minute, free-flowing, unedited, unplanned, conversational kind of podcast. So check that out. Uh, came out last Thursday, and we'll be doing those moving forward. And then, of course, this is our kind of hour-long uh, segmented episode where we uh, go through the 94 feet of a court um, through different segments. Uh, so let's bring in Corbin um, before we get started. Corbin, how are you doing tonight? Hey, pretty good, Eric. How are you, man? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing a, a lot better after watching that James Harden performance. Uh, if for any of you who missed it, we are recording on uh, Sunday, November 5th. This will be out at midnight, November 6th. Um, James Harden and the Rockets, they just beat the Jazz 137-110, to 110, completely dominating performance. But Harden really stood out. 56 points, 13 assists on 19 of 25 shooting, 7 of 8 from 3, and 11 of 12 from the free throw line. Uh, all in, He did this all in 35 minutes. Um, I mean, just watching that performance, I watched the game. I watched the entire game. It was, I mean, he was on fire. I think he had 22 points in the first quarter. I think he hit he hit his first seven threes. He ultimately missed one uh, when he played in the fourth quarter to try, to try and break the Rockets' single game record for points in a game, which is held by Calvin Murphy at 57. So when people people on Twitter were really wow. annoyed, people on Twitter were really annoyed when uh, he left the game with about six or seven minutes left at 56 points because he was really tired. He he was kind of. He was missing shots. At that point, he was missing shots that he was hitting in the first half. Um, people were really annoyed that he went out one point shy of the record. Um, ultimately, though, 56 points, 13 assists. I believe he accounted for 91 total points if you consider it the uh, the points he generated from assists because I think I think it was either 9 or 10 of his 13 assists were on three-pointers, so that's why he generated so many points. I mean... I mean, we had LeBron's performance last on Friday, which we haven't talked about yet because we had the episode on Thursday. Now we have James Harden's performance on Sunday. I mean, who's going to be next to blow us off, blow us away with a, a performance like this? I mean, it's it's really incredible. We're we're really kind of blessed to see greatness every night of the week. Seriously, just watching this game, and I only caught parts of it, and it was just how dominating Harden was just from the opening tip. Looking at the salad, this is crazy. I'm looking at it right now, and it's 76% from the field. 87.5% from three, and 91.7% for the free throw line, all on a very large volume. I mean, 25 shots total, eight threes, as you said, all together, and 12 attempts at the line. That's just unreal. It, it's really kind of crazy, a plus 25. I mean, he, he obviously is very important to this Rockets team, always has, but just how he's able to control everything from the top down on the offensive end, it, it, like you said, it's really a treat to see. And to have this every night, I mean, LeBron is actually one of my three points, but to see him go off like that, and and like you said, who knows? All these performances that we keep seeing on on nightly basis, Porzingis going off for forty. I mean, it's it's something else, man. As an NBA fan, we can only be we're only just like you said, blessed to be able to see this. And Porzingis is going to be one of my three points as well. And I just want to point out before we move on to the baseline that this was against the Jazz, who were who were before this game the third ranked defense in the league, and who have been a top three or top five defense for the past four or five years. I mean. One of, I think this is one of I think this is arguably the most impressive performance of the year. You could argue LeBron's is as well, considering the factors and just how dominating he was against a really good team in the in the Wizards on the road. Um, but this one is is kind of you know tied, if not up there. But uh, all right, well let's let's talk not enough talking about James Harden's one performance. Um, obviously he's great, so we expect a lot of this. Um, let's move on uh, in just a moment to the baseline question. All right. 
And now it's time for the baseline. Okay, so today's baseline question, and remember each week Corbin and I alternate choosing who uh, creates a baseline question for the other. So my baseline question for you this week, Corbin, is who will finish with the worst record in the league? I'll throw out some so the candidate teams, the Hawks, Mavericks, Kings, and Bulls seem to be the most logical choices here, though obviously a, an injury could derail a team like the Suns or something like that. But in your opinion, who do you think will have the worst record in the league when all, when all said and done? On my end, without a doubt, the Dallas Mavericks. I, I think, and it's kind of sad because I, I really feel for Dirk Nowitzki. And they have talent on their team, but they just don't have enough top-end talent, in my opinion, to contend. All of them are either just starting their career or on the wrong end of it. And the way they're losing now, it's, it's, it's not really even close. They Their most recent game, yesterday against the Timberwolves, they lost 99-112. They're 1-10. They have a really rough stretch coming up where they could be, as we talked about in our last podcast, potentially 2-20 when it's all said and done. I, I definitely think the Mavericks are. And I don't know. When, I, when you look at them, it's just... They, they, they don't look bad. They look inept. You know, you still have Seth Curry out with his injury. Obviously, Dennis Smith Jr. is still learning. Harrison Barnes has been steady. But, I mean, even just this last game, he pitched in 17 points on 8-13 shooting but posted a team worst minus 21 in his 30 minutes. And I think if you're any team that has to rely heavily on Devin Harris and J.J. Barea, I, I think you're in trouble yeah. at this point. Yeah, and as we talked about on the Thursday episode, um, the Mavericks have the hardest schedule in the league in November, and I'm going to run through it again really quickly for people who didn't listen to last week's episode. Their November schedule, they already lost to the Pelicans on November 3rd, um, and the Timberwolves, what am I talking about, on November 4th. So, their next game, at the Wizards, home against the Cavs, at the Thunder, home against the Spurs, home against the Wolves, home against the Bucks, home against the Celtics, at the Grizzlies, home against the Thunder. And then they conclude conclude the month. I'm sorry, I had a tweet up and I was covering the last two games at the Spurs and then home against the Nets. On the Thursday episode, I said that they could win one game. You know, now that I think about it, I think the Nets could even beat them. I think the Mavs might go winless in November. I, I, I mean, it's shocking to say it, and people did not expect this to start the year. I mean, people predicted that, predicted the Mavs would be in the 30 to 35 win range. You know, be like a 10 or 11 seed. They're not going to make the playoffs, but people didn't think they would be a bottom feeder in, in the West. But, you know, they've had a couple injuries. You know, their Nerlens Noel situation is, is really, I think, frustrating and interesting at the same time. Nowitzki, you know, he's putting up some points, but he's just, he's obviously not the same anymore. Barnes is putting up numbers, but not really being that effective. And they just lack some talent. And then Dennis Smith Jr. has missed a couple of games. Ultimately, after this November schedule, they're going to be buried. Um, and it's going to be up to, you know, the Hawks got a game today against the Cavs, which is, you know, surprising in itself. Um I, I have to agree with you. I think it's going to be the Mavericks. As, as strange and unexpected as that sounds and kind of disappointing as that sounds, I, I do agree with you that it will be the Mavericks. And they find they have a hard time generating points. In fact, the three teams that you did mention, Chicago, Sacramento, and Dallas, are all in the, they were all in the bottom three as far as points scored per game. Chicago ranked the lowest with 91.9, Sacramento 93.8, Dallas checking in at 97.9. But between that and also this weird New Orleans – Noel Rick Carlisle standoff, which has been I'm, I'm not really certain as to how it's come about. I'm assuming over the offseason and what's escalated to this point. But he only played 14 minutes in yesterday's game against the Timberwolves. And no matter how many injuries or personnel changes that Rick Carlisle seems to be making yesterday, he started Salah Mejri at starting center. He seems to stick Nerlens Noel in that bench role like he will not get 
he will not move from that position, even if it is, let's say, a, a favorable spot for him to try him out. You know, so that's interesting to me. We're still waiting for Seth Curry to return from that stress reaction. Is left to be a, I don't know. As you said, it it's growing dimmer and dimmer around the season. Soon enough, Mass fans are going to turn to the scouting process and and figure out if they're going to get Porter or Bagley. We'll, we'll see what happens. You know? I mean, I think they should be looking at the, at the scouting and the uh, mock drafts every day <laughs> at this point. True, true. <laughs> All right, yeah, so that, that's the baseline question for the week. Uh, anything else to add, Corbin, before we move on to uh, Full Court Press? Well, actually, what do you think, if, if I could, what do you think about the Bulls? Only because I'm, I'm, I don't, the verdict is out on my, on my end as far as Fred Hoiberg's co- coaching. I do think that he's not a great coach, but I don't think he's a horrible coach. I just don't think his personnel fits with his pace and space strategy. But I wanted to hear your thoughts on them. Just because I think they're an intriguing team for for a bad team. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're obviously going to be bad, and as you mentioned, the the personnel doesn't fit uh, Fred Horbrook's system. I mean they have the worst offensive rating in the league at ninety one point seven, which is I mean the Kings are twenty ninth at ninety five point seven, so that's a four point difference. That's how bad the Bulls' offense has been. But surprisingly, their defense and they've always been a, a pretty solid defensive team. Their defense is actually eighth in the league, um, so. It's not. It's really they've been winning games with defense. They only have two wins. They did have a nice win at the Magic. Um, you know, my my take with the Bulls. I think. I mean, we've seen the Hawks have gotten off to a really bad start. I know they had the win today, but they're two and eight as well. My thing with the Hawks is that they're well coached and they're going to try hard. They just have very little talent on the floor most times, especially when Dennis Schroeder's out with injury. The thing with the Bulls is that I don't see them having that coaching that that will you know lead them like. Um, Budenholzer is a much better coach than Hoiberg, in my opinion, and I think that coaching, you know, for these bad teams, I know that they deep down, they, you know, it's better for them to lose. But sometimes nights on this, there will be coaching that really makes a difference, and, and Budenholzer will have that advantage over Hoiberg. Hence, why I think the Hawks could squeeze out a couple more wins than the Bulls. So ultimately, I think that. You know, obviously the Bulls are waiting for Zach Levine to come back and he can be a big generator of offense. We actually had a really good piece on the 94 Feet Report website from Jake Panting um, about Zach Levine and how he can kind of be a franchise player for the Bulls. And we'll remain to be seen if he can be the true number one guy, but he'll obviously generate some offense, lead them to a couple of wins here or there. But I think by then the Hawks will have, you know, surpassed the Bulls and the Bulls will finish uh, last in the East. But I still think the Mavericks will ultimately finish with the worst record in the league. No, I'm with you on that. And those are some good points. That's that's good. I'm glad I actually asked you about that. Get a perspective on them. You, you ready for the full court press? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Get ready because it's time for the full court press. All right. So, Eric, for the full court press, we are going to be discussing – the surprising and disappointing teams, just revisiting that since most teams have played around 10 games. So I see you have the Celtics up and, yes, 8-2, and two, number one defense, 15th offense, and second net rating, and winning games with great defense. Kyrie and Horford, as you said, have been deadly. I, I want you to, to, to keep on with this. What do you think that you've seen from Boston that is more surprising than what we've looked at going into the season, especially with the injury to Gordon Hayward and how they've seemingly bounced back from that. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the stats so far. They're winning games with their defense. They're 15th offensively, which is exactly league average, but their defense is really winning games. And and you really, you probably wouldn't expect to hear that from a team that's starting Kyrie Irving at point guard. You know, previously in the past, he's been slandered for his poor defense, and rightly so. Um, But this year, he's, 
I mean, he's not a great defender, but he's buying in defensively. He's trying harder. I think Brad Stevens is really connected with Kyrie to get him to buy in on the defensive end. And so far, it's working. Kyrie has not been terrible defensively at all. As you mentioned, he's establishing this great connection with Horford. There have been a couple of games uh, right off the top of my head. He had a game late in the game against the Bucks uh, when the Bucks had that traditional, uh, not traditional, that throwback uh, Mecca court. That was about a week and a half ago. Kyrie made some passes to Horford to, to close out that game. And then this comeback game they had against the Thunder on a... Friday night, he had a couple of passes to Horford to get some threes, and Horford's been a really valuable player for that. I think Horford still overall has been their best player so far this season, but Kyrie's been really good defensively and offensively kind of leading this offense. And then they've had guys like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. They all stepped up, especially Brown and Tatum. I mean, Tatum for a rookie, I think he's been one up, if not the best rookies. Um, he's contributing. Um, he's scoring. I think, what is he scoring? Like, 13 or 14 points per game for a rookie. It's pretty good. I'm pretty good efficiency as well. Jalen Brown has stepped up a lot as well. Good rebounder, good physical defender. They've got good defensive pieces. Horford's a smart situational defender. Brown's a good defender. Marcus Smart's a good defender. Um, you know, they're, they're just getting Marcus Morris back into the mix. So that'll help them out as well, especially on the offensive side of the ball where they could stand to improve. But ultimately, I've just been really impressed with how great their defense is. Of course, how well coached they are, which makes a big difference, especially when you get to, you know, contenders, you know, uh, playing against each other, you know, small coaching changes could make a big difference. And obviously, Brad Stevens is proving his coaching uh, chomps right now. And he's he looks like a leader for coach of the year. It's obviously really early, but just the way he's gotten to Kyrie and to connect with Kyrie. And of course, I think one, my last thing is that underlying everything, Kyrie kind of in the back of his mind knows, like, I have to ball out. I have to improve defensively. I have to lead this team to wins because I did force my trade um, out of the Cavs and, and away from LeBron. So deep down, and Kyrie's got some underlying motivation as well as to step up his game on both ends of the floor, which is, you know, another key reason why the Celtics have been so good so far. I agree. And especially with Coach Stevens possibly, be, definitely being in the line for Coach of the Year, but possibly being able to win it even though it is early because the way he's worked his defense, as you said, especially with Kyrie, it's 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 pretty phenomenal to see the change, and he did a good job with this with Isaiah Thomas last year. They still had a very a pretty solid defense for such a glaring hole in one position. But right now, Kyrie currently is actually leading the NBA with an average of 2.4 steals per game, and the Celtics have limited their opponents to 94 points or less in their last eight games, which I thought was just crazy. And in addition, you brush on Horford, but he just this last game was a perfect three for three from beyond the arc, which Right now, still early, but he's boosted his three-point percentage to 46.7 and has made his last seven from behind the arc. So they're just – they're really on fire right now, and it's kind of crazy. The first team in NBA history to win eight straight after losing their first two of the season. And the final thing I want to mention – sorry to cut you off, but uh, before we go on to another team, I just want to mention the Celtics – this is not kind of a a slander or a bad thing. They have had one of, if not the easiest schedule so far, and – if you look at their uh, upcoming like couple of weeks, I think it's the rest of November. They, I, I think after November, they'll have the easiest schedule in the league. Now, nothing's wrong with that. They're beating who they should beat, which is obviously what you want to do when you're a contending team. Um, but it is something to monitor. I, I mean, obviously, I think that they'll be really good. I, I really I think that they could easily win the East. Um, but I, I do want to wait um, and see, you know, how are they in December and January when they hit a rough stretch, when they're playing contenders, when they're playing a lot on the road, when Kyrie gets into more of a groove and maybe the motivation kind of wears off a little bit in like December and January. Let's see how they do. I still think they're going to be good, but it is something to monitor with their schedule. Valid points, definitely. So your next team we were going to address was the 7-3 and three Detroit Pistons. What do you have on them, Eric? Yeah, I mean, 
I don't think people now the Magic have fallen off, but on Friday uh, you could have said that the Pistons, Magic, and Celtics were the top three teams in the East, which I think no one would have expected after the first ten or so games. But here we are with the Pistons at seven and three. Uh, they're fifteenth defensively, eleventh offensively, thirteenth in net rating. These stats were taken before most of the games today, so they could be a little bit different. But that's really kind of the epitome of average. I mean, if 15th is league average, they're really close in almost all of those categories for league average, which is interesting considering the fact that they're 7-3. and three. But, I mean, obviously one of the biggest shockers is that Drummond, Andre Drummond, has become a good free throw shooter, and he hasn't really changed. He didn't really even go to the underhand toss, which a lot of people were calling for last year. I mean, he stepped it up from 38% to, I think he's over 75% this year, which is just an incredible jump. Um, and Clint Capella is someone like that as well, who just took a really big jump. Um free throw percentage wise um obviously with the pistons their impressive wins of the year were their back-to-back wins at the clippers and the warriors then of course they followed up with a stinker against the lakers but uh you can't you can't win them all and uh the final point i want to touch upon is, is tobias harris i don't think he gets enough credit for how good he's been this year i mean he's averaging about 20 points per game on really good efficiency he's always been a good scorer but kind of a spot scorer but now he's become a go-to scorer for this Pistons squad reggie jackson has looked better um, ultimately, it turns out that they're not going to trade him for Eric Bledsoe, which is the big rumor we talked about on, on the last episode. But Reggie Jackson looked better. Drummond's you know, playing better and hitting his free throws. Tobias Harris has become a go-to scorer. And they're winning close games, and they're well-coached from Stan Van Gunny. That's how you get a 7-3 record for the Pistons, which I think no one expected going into the season. No, they're, they're extremely solid. I like the way they've been using Drummond almost as a point center with dribble hands-offs and mm-hmm. facilitating the offense from that point. And as you said, the free throw shooting, which I don't even think has gotten enough attention. Obviously, ma- you know, major NBA heads have been talking about it, and we've addressed it. But that's night and day. Just he's really solid at the line. I- I'm I'm impressed. And lastly, he's actually one of only three players. Him, I think Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis, who have posted three games with at least 15 points and 15 rebounds. And so set on on Saturday, he I mean he had 16 points and 19 rebounds, and that was the seventh double double of the season. I think that's the reason why he um, Drummond is actually the the linchpin of this strong start for the Pistons. That and the fact that Reggie Jackson was trying to play his way out of Phoenix rumors. So yeah, I mean, you know. yeah. Before we move on to the next team, th- this team really kind of goes as Drummond and Jackson go. That duo, when they're playing well, this team will most likely be playing well. When they're not, when they're struggling, this team will be struggling. Last year, Jackson struggled. Drummond was pretty, you know, hit or miss. So the team struggled overall. But this year, it looks like they both rebounded. Both have improved in certain areas. They both are healthy, and we see what's happening with the Pistons, and they've gotten off to a really good seven and three start. So that's just another impressive team. I mean. We can move on to one of your impressive teams where we can finish off my list with uh, the Magic. Um, it's up I'm, to you. I'm all good. For, oh, yeah, I'm all good for finishing your list. This is a strong, uh, strong lineup, and actually one of them was actually one I was thinking of as well. So, no, definitely. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> well, it's kind of awkward that now that I prepared these notes and now that we're finally getting to record the Magic, I've fallen to 6-4 and four with a loss today to the Celtics we talked about. Um, no shame in losing to the Celtics just on how big of a role they're on, but we've talked about the Magic a bunch on the first couple episodes of the podcast since the season has started because no one expected the Magic to be so good. They started off 6-2. and two. They've lost two straight. One was a really disappointing loss to the Bulls at home by double digits. This one to the Celtics. The Celtics are a good team. It still was by double digits in the end, but... I don't want to spend too much time on the Magic. I just want to, again, touch upon some key aspects of why they've been so good. A big reason is their pace. They're now a really free-flowing and and kind of moving the ball in transition kind of team. They're fifth in pace, which is night and day difference from what they were last year. Um, And then ultimately, the three-point shooting. I mean, when I 
as of uh, last night, they're, they were hitting 42.1% of their threes as a team. Now, I mean, today against the Celtics, I haven't seen – I haven't looked at the box score yet. Oh. I'm going to pull it up right now to see what their shooting yeah, was. But they sh- Oh, sorry. They shot 20% from three today. They they definitely <laughs> fell off in a major way. Okay, yeah. I mean, what I was expecting yeah. is this team, they have mm-hmm. they have good shooters. They don't really have great shooters. Like Fournier is a good shooter. Terrence Ross can be a good shooter. DJ Augustine can be a good shooter. But, you know, guys like Aaron Gordon and all those other guys were hitting over 50% of their threes, which was obviously going to come down. I mean, this team was never an elite three-point shooting team. So, you know, there was an article on Cleaning the Glass about their shooting and if it can be sustainable. And, and obviously the conclusion was no because this team is never proven to be this elite of a, of a three-point shooting team and, and very rarely does a team make such a big improvement shooting wise in, in one offseason so my interesting thing to watch is as the shooting comes reverts back to the mean maybe around league average 35 percent instead of above 40 percent how does their offense fare can they still win enough games using their defense are they still going to be running in transition you know in december and january and february and in those later months of the season ultimately there are there are concerning signs for the magic i still ultimately based off this start i think they have the recipe to make the playoffs um but they're a team that i, I would not be surprised if they completely fall out of the picture as their shooting falls off and their offense kind of takes a hit with their shooting i agree i'm very curious as to see how this unfolds because if they play with this same solid pace and are and the shooting is halfway sustainable obviously they're not going to be lights out but also i don't think that they won't be able to hit the broad side of a, of a barn for the most part because even today the field goal percentage for some of these players evan fournier went 214 from the field 14 percent and two for nine from three Terrence Ross, 2-for-12 from the field, 0-for-4 from 3. Shelvin Mack, 3-for-8, 0-for-2. I mean, it was a bad night shooting. And when they have these, they're going to just lose, and, and by a lot. But if they can, you know, try to leverage that with still solid offensive play and hitting some of their shots, then yeah, definitely, especially in this Eastern Conference that's going through a major shakeup, I definitely feel they'll make the playoffs. So, like you said, it's going to be something to look at moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I, now I'm interested to see what teams you have on your impressive team so far. All right, so for me, I, you had you had the Celtics, and I actually had the Wizards, but the last couple of days have, have made me rethink that. <laughs> One of my teams is the Raptors, and they're not a surprising team. They're just not a team that I, I've heard a lot about in the press and reading up until this weekend. And so I'm actually going to use that for my three points. But that's a team that I'm definitely going to go into. And then the Rockets, 8-3 and three without Chris Paul. Yes, they're, they, I think they've played some tough teams already. They haven't. They, I mean, the Jazz, this one was just James Harden dominate up and down. Not really much to say. But they, they've had some good games where they're, they rose above the quality of the opponent. They've had some games where they've been, I, I don't want to say disappointing, but like they've played teams that are substandard and they're already dealing with injuries so i don't really know how much of that is, is just the rockets but they're surprising me to be eight and three and have the injuries they've had to chris paul i know um look richard Mahmoud, Mahmoudé, just i think he tweaked his knee or something you know more about that on the rockets end than i do but i i, I did hear he had an injury yeah he did right. hit his, yeah he did hit his knee today and he came into the game in the second half for a couple minutes and then he left early and the Rockets don't play again until Thursday so um, I'm I not, you, but, uh, yeah go ahead uh-huh. oh no no I'm sorry no but I was saying if you look at the schedule they're eight and three but two of their losses were to the Grizzlies and then one was just a let down to 76ers so I mean unless the Grizzlies have their number I mean I don't know but 
other than that, they, I mean, the Hornets, the Knicks, the Hawks, against the Jazz today and against the Warriors, like they're playing like an upper echelon Western Conference team. It's just in, in going through heavy workload. That's been a team that's been surprising to me. Yeah, and, and seven of their first 11 games have been on the road, and they've beaten some good teams, they've beaten some pretty bad teams, and they've ultimately, they've lost, they, they lost to the Sixers in a letdown game, but they were lucky to beat the Sixers on Eric Gordon's buzzer beater the week before, so, um, yeah. and then they played the Grizzlies, one of the Grizzlies games was on a second night of a back-to-back um, without Eric Gordon, the other one, the Grizzlies just outplayed the Rockets, and it'll be interesting to see, because the Rockets actually played the Grizzlies all four times all four of their seasonal matchups are, are done by November, and we don't know if Chris Paul will play in any of those games. So, yeah, wow, it, it, that interesting is to see. Interesting. The team has had to deal with a lot of injuries. And, and quickly, before we move on to some disappointing teams, I want to touch upon the, the Raptors because they lost to the Wizards today, so they're 5-4, and four, but they have the 7th best offense and the 10th best defense, which is kind of a marker. If you're, if you're top 10 in both categories, it's a pretty good sign that you're an elite team. I mean, their net rating of 5.3 is 6th in the league, but ultimately they're just 5-4. and four. They've kind of been a hit-or-miss team. The interesting thing about the Raptors, before I just want to touch upon them quickly, is that they've been taking a lot more threes than in previous seasons, and they make they made it like a hallmark. Uh, Dwayne Casey really said, you know, after they got bounced out in the playoffs last year, they really said you have know, to change the offense, got to take more threes, got to have some more pace and space, and and so far they're doing it. They're not hitting as many threes as you would like, but they're taking more, and it's kind of like that Rockets recipe where the Rockets never really hit a lot of their threes; they just take a bunch and ultimately just outscore and outshoot teams like that. So it's nice to see the Raptors changing their offense, and you know, a five and four starter is is fine, but the numbers indicate that they're better than their five and four record. So I just wanted to mention that before we move to on to some uh, disappointing teams. Before you, you know, if you have anything to add before we move on, uh, feel free. Oh no, I'm I'm, I'm totally agreeing. Definitely, let's keep it rolling. To disappointing teams, not right? Yeah. Um. So. I'll just mention mine first. Um, so my first team are, is the Thunder. Um, they're 4-4. Four and four. They're currently playing right now against the Blazers. I don't know what the score is. But uh, the Thunder... Oh, um, yeah, down when by I, nine. Okay, so they're down by nine. So wh- when I pulled up the stats, they were second in defense and 15th offensively. So kind of like... Actually, I'm going to check that again. So the Thunder have now moved to 13th offensively, but they are still second in defense. So it's kind of like the Celtics recipe that just using their defense to win games. Um, the Thunder have lost some close games. They had that Wolves game um, where it was crazy in the end and Wiggins ultimately beat them with a buzzer beater. And then they had that complete collapse against the Celtics where they were up by, I think, 19 points. Um either at half or somewhere in the third quarter, and they're often just completely stalled down the end of the game and allow the Celtics to come back. And the Celtics, obviously, their defense is great, so they put the clamps on the Thunder. But it is something to uh, watch out, and it's something else to watch is their offense because obviously integrating both Paul George and Carmelo Anthony um, into their offense is going to take time. You know, the Rockets made a significant addition in the free agency, but... Chris Paul hasn't played since the first game, so really it's been the Rockets of last year just with, you know, P.J. Tucker and Mabah Mute. So it's not like they had to make – they so far the Rockets haven't had to make, you know, big changes to their offense um, like the Thunder do. So it'll be interesting to see when Chris Paul comes back. But uh, back to the Thunder, their offense is taking time to iron out, which was expected. And the other thing to watch is Russell Westbrook. You know, he's only taking 16 shots per game, which is the lowest average per game per for his season, for his year uh, – excuse me, for his career since his second year. Something to watch. I mean, he's passing the ball a lot. He's leading the league in assists, but he's not shooting as much. Um, and obviously, he's purposely making it a point to get Melo and, and Paul George involved. But, you know, watching their offense and seeing how they figure it out uh, will be interesting because obviously it looks like they have the defense figured out already. 
Definitely. And that is something I was thinking of as well. We know all during the summer after the moves were made, we we're talking about, oh, will Russell defer to his teammates? Can he step down from the triple doubles that he was that he was getting? And he, he's done a good job. I think there was one play, in fact, I'm just going to touch on this briefly, against the Celtics that I think really was the defining moment of that second half letdown to Boston. But Ky- it was about four minutes left in the fourth quarter. Boston was up by three or four. I think they were up by four. And Kyrie had been fouled and went to the line. And the bigs for OKC was Carmelo and Steven Adams. They both could have grabbed the rebound or both could have put themselves in a position to grab the rebound. But And this has been much talked about. I'm not really sure where I stand on it. I, I have to admit there is some of it. The two bigs were letting Russell Westbrook sneak in, to, you know, get the, the pad rebound, we call it, because either of them could have grabbed it. Yeah. However, Russell Westbrook kind of went to the middle of the lane, didn't really box out Irving, I guess just thought that he was going to grab the rebound if one came. The two bigs were left flat-footed because they were just clearing the way for Russell to go grab it, and Kyrie was able to sneak in there, grab the ball, get fouled again, you know, get the lead, push up to six, and that kind of pushed it out the game. So I, I am worried that, they are having that. I mean, when you're a team that's integrating these three stars, it's not that it's not a purely selfish thing because it makes sense for us to grab the rebounds and start the fast break. But in free throw situations, late in close games, it is it is wonder you know fair to ask if they will start a, a more conventional style and not even to center too much on those two free throws, but just in the game, they have a lot of times during the offensive end where Russell will defer and it's like you know what you you have an advantage on this point. Take him, you know, or the ball will find its way to Carmelo Anthony down the stretch and he'll go back to his jab step, jab step, you know, long contested two, like New York. And or, or, or you'll have Paul George. I think there was something funny um against the Celtics in that last um, game winning three point shot attempt that that, that was an air ball. Um, Brian Scalabrini <laughs> was like. Paul George only makes those during Gatorade commercials. <laughs> and I was like, I laughed so hard. But obviously, you know, they're 18 points per game. Um, their defense, you said third, that, that's really solid. They'll get it together. They're 23rd out of 30 in pace, which, I mean, you would think with Russell grabbing the ball and going off, they'd be a little bit quicker. But I think it'll iron itself out. The only thing I look at, they're 4-4. Four and four. Their expected win-loss was supposed to be 6-2 and two based off the strength schedule and everything. So that's slightly concerning to me. Um, I think it really just depends on how they play against Portland before I start my whole freaking out process. But not to touch too deep on them, but that's definitely a team I've been watching intently. Yeah, and just quickly before I touch upon my next team, this disappointing team is also in the same division. It's the Denver Nuggets, and they haven't been super disappointing. I mean, they're 5-5. Five and five. They just haven't played great yet. They've had some kind of bad losses, and ultimately they, they played the Warriors tough for about a half, and then the Warriors kind of just woke up and were like, we're going to beat you down from here. Um but, you know, the Nuggets have started to get in a better groove, kind of get the offense in sync, but they're still just 15th offensively. And obviously, this was a team that, for about four, for the majority of last season, actually, it was about four and a half months. Um, the Nuggets were 15, uh, the best offensive team in the league, and now they're just 15th offensively. Kind of, in one part, is due to Paul Millsap um, integrating with the offense, and the other part is that some of their shootings have been pretty cold, like Jamal Murray. Now, the Nuggets are 23rd defensively. They were 18th before playing the Warriors, but when the Warriors play, they usually lower your defensive rating. That's what happens. Um, so they're 23rd defensively. That'll have to improve to you know around 20, especially if their offense is not as elite as it's going to be. And ultimately, they're sixth in three-point percentage as a team, um, which is pretty great considering the fact that you know as I mentioned, Jamal Murray Murray has been struggling from beyond the arc. So ultimately, I'm just kind of disappointed in the in the Nuggets' offense. Really, I mean their defense is kind of as advertised, but their offense has been pretty disappointing so far. 
True. I, I agree. Ooh. I'm interested in your, in your you have a, a secondary disappointing team to, to add up other than the Nuggets or? Yeah, I mean, I just want to touch. I, we we kind of talked about them in the baseline, but the Mavs and Kings. I mean, the Mavericks are 1 and 9, the Kings are 1 and 7. I mean, people expected the Kings to be bad and the, the Mavericks to be mediocre, but these teams are, are worse than people expected, as is. Maybe the Kings aren't, but the Mavericks certainly are. And just for the Kings, I mean, they brought in some veterans like Zach Randolph, uh, George Hill, Vince Carter, but they just haven't been good at all. And, and Hill and Randolph look completely washed, especially Randolph. I mean, he's, his efficiency is completely down. He really just can't use his, his moves or his body to get into the paint anymore. And, and George Hill's been struggling too. He's not shooting that much. I thought he would provide more to the Kings, but De'Aaron Fox has quickly taken the reins over, and obviously we talked about the Mavericks already. They looks like they're pretty comfortably headed for a top three pick, which you know, as we discussed on last week's episode on Thursday, it would be pretty good for them moving forward because they could pair that draft pick with Dennis Smith Jr. and kind of get the foundation for the next decade of Mavericks basketball. So, all in all, those are my disappointing teams, and I'd love to hear what uh, your teams are. Well, I have one more, and they've been better than advertised given the last two additions that coach Alvin Gentry has had to roll out, but I have the New Orleans Pelicans. Um currently sitting five five at the Western Conference. They're about average on offensive and de- uh, offensive rating. Um when well, offensive rating they're twenty two out of thirty and then defensive rating they're actually ninth out of thirty. But I think offensively you already know it's a struggle just given the supporting cast beyond Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins. Um points per game and then a point opponents points scored, they're actually really right in the middle. Seventeenth out of thirty at a 105.2 points scored per game, and then 15th out of 30 in points scored against them at 105.5. I think it's just interesting to, for me, Julie, Drew, Drew Holiday hasn't been nearly as good as someone who received a max contract. In my own opinion, 13 points, five rebounds, six assists. It, it's solid numbers, but not max numbers to me, and he still seems to be fighting his way as not only in off guard, but he's st- he he's playing the primary point guard position now. Um, since Drew, Holl- um, since um, Jimmy Jimmy has come in to kind of help with that, but since Rajon Rondo's been out, he's been more of the primary ball handler. But in my opinion, he still seems to be struggling to mesh with the bigs and how to find his own offensive role. And Jameer Nelson actually has been a shot in the arm for them, just coming in and steadying the team, just proving that, hey, if you can run an NBA offense, you can still find a job. 35 doesn't matter. He's averaging 7 points and 4.3 assists. And the bigs, DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, have just been dominating. But I don't know, spotty shooting from the rest of the cast, disappointing defense in in some instances. And then DeMarcus Cousins, who has definitely gotten better in, in this respect, but there are times when he's disenfranchised, starts pouting, you know, just argues with the refs just a little bit, hangs back, doesn't get back down to court, lets easy points go. I'm, I'm just curious as to how that will keep going when Rondo comes back and he'll be able to help out. Obviously, shooting-wise, I don't see a big difference, but just leadership, steadying the floor, having a stable floor general on the court at all times between him and Nelson, and seeing how Gentry moves forward with this team, whether he can get more shooting in or some more strategies. I like what I see, but... They've five and five. I mean, I was hoping they'd be a little better. And mind you, injuries are taken in consideration here. But with how dominant their two bigs have been, I don't know. I think you would think they've just been some added extra umph, you know, something. Yeah, I mean, it really feels like the Pelicans are almost always on a disappointing teams list, no matter what time of the season <laughs> it is. But that's actually a, a, you made a, a great amount of points there about the Pelicans, and then kind of 
why they're kind of somewhat disappointing, even though they're five and five. And that's actually a great segue for uh, something I'm going to talk about in our next segment, the half court heave, which we'll be getting to in just a moment. All right, for the half-court heat, this is our prediction segment. We're going to make it real quick because I just want to make a, a short and sweet prediction that's pretty bold, but I've also kind of hinted at over the past couple of, of episodes. My half-court heave is that there will be at least two coaching changes during the season or during the offseason um, for this upcoming you know, kind of calendar year, and I think that it actually could very well likely be three coaching changes. So my three teams, Pelicans, Bucks, and Cavs. Now, I have talked about the Bucks coaching situation how I think that Jason Kidd is kind of the Mark Jackson to the Warriors as he is to the Bucks so I think that the next coach will be brought in to kind of you know make the the Bucks more explosive and really kind of quote-unquote unlock the team even more to get them to their true potential I think that's not Jason Kidd that's not what his role is um, the Pelicans you just talked about I think that if the Pelicans miss the playoffs and have less than 43 to 44 wins I could totally see Alvin Gentry gone I think I would fire him if I was in charge there as well and then honestly, you know, if the Cavs, like, if the Cavs limp to the finals and get beat easily, let's say they get swept and LeBron kind of had it and he leaves, and I could totally see Tyron Lue gone. I mean, maybe they don't even make the finals. Maybe somehow, I mean, they've been playing really poorly, and obviously it's still early and they could turn it around, but maybe let's say they don't make it to the finals and a, a team beats them in the Eastern Conference Finals or something like that. Then I think it's pretty clear if LeBron decides to leave, I think you could clearly see a way for Tyron Lue to be fired or just, you know, to, you know be, be forced out and have a new coach come in for what would be a rebuild without LeBron. So those are my three teams, Pelicans, Bucks, and Cavs. I'm making a half-court heave prediction that there will be at least two coaching changes during the season or during the next upcoming offseason. Um, so that's my half-court heave of the week, and uh, let's get to yours, Corbin. All right, so first, I do have to, to, to rub it in just a little bit. I, I nailed my last half-court heave on my Lakers, man. I said <laughs> two out of three. I called the wins. <laughs> I feel like LeVar Ball. I speak it into existence, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Got to give you credit when credit's due. Appreciate that, sir. But my, my next one actually also with the Lakers. But I think by the end of this year, Kyle Kuzma will be a favorite for Rookie of the Year. And here's why. He, coming in since he's been even before he's been in a certain starting lineup he's averaging 15.7 points 5.7 rebounds 1.4 assists he's doing on 56 percent shooting 33 percent from three and and in 28 minutes per game and he's he comes in just a shot arm he came against portland and i think he had something like 10 points in 11 minutes single-handedly starting that comeback when we were down by 15 we the lakers were down by 15 late in that in that first in that first half and just the way he plays energy and yes you know playing all four years of college but the poise and just skill that he has you know he has a, a tremendous amount of moves right in the basket you know isolation go-to moves and i'm not saying he's an isolation scorer but he is a very solid player and i think you know ben simmons is is getting a lot of noise um Lonzo is getting a lot of attention if, if his play hasn't backed that up. But I think Kyle Kuzma will definitely insert himself into the Rookie of the Year conversation by the start of 2018. That's my half-court heave. It's up. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that half-court heave. So those are our half-court heave predictions for the week. Um, sounds good to me. All right. Now, about to head on to the three points.
And now, here are the three points. All right. So now it's time for the three points of our segment. Just three topics we want to shoot out and discuss for a little bit. Eric, I see you have the Grizzlies as one of your points. Want to elaborate further on that? Yeah, I mean, specifically, I mean, the Grizzlies could be a point on their own for their success, but specifically I want to give credit and recognition to the Grizzlies bench because that's been a major part of their success. Obviously, they're 6-3. and three. They've had some good wins. They beat the Rockets twice. They beat the Warriors. They beat the Clippers yesterday. Um, let's, I mean, i got to give credit to guys like Tyreek Evans, Chandler Parsons, James Ennis, Dylan Brooks, their rookie, and Mario Chalmers. I mean, all those guys have been huge for the Grizzlies. They've been single-handedly winning games with their bench. Um, and, you know, Tyreek Evans is kind of making a comeback, and it's not talked about enough. 16 points per game, 5.6 rebounds per game, 2.7 assists per game. That is, those are six-man-of-the-year numbers right there. And if he can keep it up throughout the whole entire year, I'm not saying he'll be a favorite to win the award, but he probably will be in the top three of voting. Chandler Parsons, I know it's only 8.3 points per game, but considering the fact where he was last year, he had that great game against the Rockets uh, about two weeks ago where he put up, I think, 24 points. His shot looks better. He looks a lot healthier, looks a lot more athletic. It's really nice to see and kind of see him kind of earn that contract and kind of pay it off. And then, you know, guys like James Ennis, 10 points per game. Dylan Brooks and, and Mario Chalmers both are scoring around 8 points per game. I mean, their team... As a team, as a kind of a bench unit, they're scoring about 45 points per game, which is kind of in the upper echelon of the NBA. And there are nights where Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley really can't carry this team. You know, both of those guys, Conley and Gasol, they're great players. They can they can take over games scoring-wise, but those aren't it, – it's not typical for them to take over games, you know, scoring-wise. They they kind of can – it's easier for them to kind of fall back into the background. That's where the, the Grizzlies bench comes in, and, and that's why it's been such a huge part of their success so far. So my first point was just kind of – giving the Grizzlies bench some recognition that it deserves for the major part of the Grizz 6-3 uh, and three start. So that's my first point. Let's let's, give, let's get your first point. All right. So mine is actually going up to the, to, up north to the Raptors. Um, in my opinion, flying under the radar with all the attention that's been going to teams like Boston, Orlando, and Cleveland in the East, I thought I'd just show a little more love to Toronto. I'm currently 5-4. and four. They did lose a tough one today to the Wizards without John Wall as Bradley Beal dropped 38. But just seeing some offensive and defensive stats from them. They have been playing a bit differently. If, if anyone who's been watching can see that with the uptick in three-point attempts and the the small shift in their offense through passing. They're passing more, 297 passes per game versus 275, and they're recording more assists, 22.5 versus 18.5 last year, even if they are shooting rather poorly from deep. They're still even, even with them shooting poorly from deep, they're still getting those shots up. And on the defensive end, they actually rank 8th in defensive efficiency. I think you touched on their defensive prowess earlier, Eric. But they've had some dominant stretches versus teams in these past couple of games, such as in their second quarter effort against the Blazers. They pressured them into going 1 for 17 from the field. They had a second half against my dear LA Lakers where they forced them to go 15 for 41. And they had a fourth quarter against Utah where the Jazz could only make 5 out of 20. And the Raptors right now are allowing the fourth fewest three-point attempts per game. They're holding their opponent to the eighth lowest three-point percentage. They're forcing the fifth most turnovers per game thanks to their fourth place ranking in steals, and they're also leading the league in deflections per game. And this is in spite of their, their success or, or, or seeming or seeming success because they have solid offensive defensive ratings, but it's in spite of the play of Kyle Lowry, who was struggling this season. I think he went 0 for 4 today from the field, 0 for 2 from 3, but he's averaging just 13.1 points on 39.2% from the field. He's only attempting 1.5 free throw attempts per game, which is a sharp decline from the 6.1 and 6.4 he had the last two seasons that he averaged. His usage rate's under 20% for the first time since 2011, and he's holding the ball in the front court 
less than he did last season. And this could be in part of the overall passing and less front court touch that he's getting, but that is significant. And then even when he is attacking off the pick and roll, he's only scoring 0.79 points per play as the pick and roll ball handler, which is down from 1.05 last season and only hitting 40% of his drives when he does drive. And so that's something to look at moving forward in general, just whether Lowry can bounce back, you know, if that subtle loss of athleticism is, is hampering his play because now he is more reliant on three-point shooting. But because of this offensive shift, they are playing on the drive, and he hasn't really been knocking the three down. He's making less than 30% on his pull-up three, and he made 42.2% last season. Now, mind you, he was shooting career highs, so regression was definitely due given these last two years. But hopefully this regression is is a part-time thing and not sign of things to come. I just want to show some love to the, to the Raptors, give a little insight and some more statistics on them. I mean, that's a great point. And, it, you know, considering the fact that all those numbers you pointed out to, to highlight how much Kyle Lowry is struggling and the fact that they have, they are top 10 in offensive rating and defensive rating still shows that they're a pretty good team, even though their record's only five and four. But to be, you know, this good on both ends of the full with Kyle, with uh, Lowry struggling so much is, is pretty significant. So it's a really good point. And uh, I'm going to move on to my point, which is kind of a league wide thing I've noticed is that, you know, I think the shorter preseason has kind of led to an unexpected start to the regular season. So I know we've got some teams that are 8-2, and 8-3, and 7-2, and 7-3, but there haven't been any real dominant teams. Like, even the Warriors themselves have clearly not been that dominant yet. They're still, you know, they have three losses already. Obviously, the Cavs have been far from dominant. Um, and a lot of teams have gotten off a slow start. There have been some fairly sloppy play. There's been a lot of injuries, especially, you know, considering the fact that I follow and cover the Rockets, that they've dealt with their fair share of injuries. And is it guys not being ready, you know, mentally is it them being not ready physically is something maybe a combination of both i mean ultimately i know they started the regular season about a week or so earlier um because they wanted to cut down the number of back-to-backs and four games in five night stretches so i think that ultimately we'll be able to evaluate how effective this change was to the season schedule and structure when we get to like december january february when teams have the less back-to-backs in the four games and five nights you know will we still see fans and, and teams in the league complaining about stars resting on national TV games. I highly doubt it, but it's still possible. Will we see more injuries throughout the course of the season or, or were the kind of the rash of injuries happening in the first couple of weeks because the season was started earlier? I, I think it's you know too soon to judge how effective or good this change was to the schedule structure. I know I enjoyed the NBA season getting off to an earlier start. That meant a shorter offseason, which is great. But uh, I think it's, it's, been, it's led to a very, uh, I want to say, it's led to a very interesting start to the regular season. So that's just kind of my second point, uh, league-wide trend that I've kind of noticed during the first 10 games or so of the season. So let's hear your second point. All right. So mine is just going back on what I think was a, a defining game for LeBron James against the Wizards this past Friday with his 57 points. And I read a good article in USA Today compiled – well, they compiled it for me. I'm just reading it out to you. <laughs> but eight really interesting – points that I wanted to bring out. Um, this is just what I picked up from Brian Winsworth's great article looking back on LeBron James' 57 points and the evolution of his post game. But against the Wizards that Friday, he was 7 out of 10 on post-ups against the Wizards, which was easily one of the greatest post-up games of his career. And he made 14 baskets in a restricted area, which was also the most in his career, and 23 field goals, which was a career high. And so the 8 points won. Those 57 points, now they tied 
Cavs franchise scoring record, which was set by Kyrie Irving a couple years ago against the Spurs with the 57 points, which I thought was interesting. I was actually hoping even, you know, as there was no time for him to get those points, I was hoping to get one more just to <laughs> put himself on the top. Like, yes, I am the king. Like, I'm not sharing this. But, you know, he did what he had to. Um, he became the seventh player in NBA history to score 29,000 points. In doing so, he became the youngest NBA player to reach that that threshold. He had the most points he's ever scored while on the Cavs, obviously, and at 32 years to boot. He now ties Allen Iverson um, in 11 games for the sixth most with 50-plus points. And then I, they actually put together, USA did a great scoring breakdown of all the plays he scored on, which was aside from free throws. He scored 16 on John Wall. He scored 11 on Kelly Oubre Jr. He scored 11 on Otto Porter Jr. And he scored 10 on Bradley Beal. He has now scored double-digit points in 800 consecutive games. He was only the second player who has been in the league for over 15 years to score 50-plus points. Of course, the other being the GOAT, Kobe Bryant. <laughs> and just the way he did that in such a dominating performance. And, and yes, they needed that, and, and the Wizards were, were talking. I'm sure you're going to touch on the Wizards later, but they were talking that trash. They obviously felt compelled to back it up and to see LeBron just calmly go in the post, a uh, fadeaway, a shimmy here, a uh, knockdown three, just giving it to them and, and showing, hey, you know, I still got it. You still got to get through me. I mean, for me as an NBA fan and, and just as, as a LeBron fan, I started to like him as he's gotten older. That was just a great moment to see, just the mastery that that he showed in that one game that also revealed the, the time he's put into his craft and the evolution of that. Just give it a little bit of love. But let's hear your third point, man. Yeah, I mean, before I get to my third point, which I'll stay in the Eastern Conference, but uh, I just want to mention that it's it's really nice to see LeBron put up these kind of incredible performances at this stage of his career. And I want to give a shout out to Alex West, who's one of the writers at 94 Feet Report and hosts the N1 yeah. podcast because he had a really good article earlier in the week on 94feetreport.com um, about LeBron's kind of bully ball mentality now when he's backing into the post more and playing out of the post more and, and, and Friday's game was just the perfect example of it I mean the master class he did in, in the post just abusing any defender that was on him and the Wizards really had no answer for him so it's just great to see LeBron continuing to put up these great performances but for my third point I'm going to stick with a guy who's putting up incredible performances of his own and that will be Kristaps Porzingis the unicorn uh, for the New York oh. Knicks so far this season, and this was before tonight's 40-point game against the Pacers in which he led a comeback and another Knicks win. Who are at, The Knicks are actually 5-4 and four now, which is surprising. But so far this season, coming into today, in 33 minutes per game, Porzingis is averaging 29 points per game, 7.8 rebounds per game, 1.8 blocks per game, which will jump up because he had six blocks today. He's shooting over 48% from the field and about 35% on three-pointers. He has career highs in player efficiency rating at 26.2, true shooting percentage at 57.3, and usage percentage at 35.8, which, interestingly enough, that usage percentage actually leads the league. Um, so he's really getting enough opportunities to put up the numbers. So the question really is, can he keep up these averages and productions for the entire season as the fatigue wears on, as defenses are more physical with him, as they're you know being paying even more attention to him on the offensive end? Um I mean, I think he can because, as I mentioned, that usage percentage. Obviously, he's getting enough opportunities each night to get these numbers and put up this kind of production for the Knicks. And he's obviously been the reason why the Knicks are over 500 and actually winning games. Um, and the other thing about Porzingis is I think he's the, he's the true unicorn. Obviously, guys like Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns have been called unicorns in the past. But I think really when you watch Porzingis play, he had that sequence against the Suns where he had that block on one end and then ran down the floor for the dunk, which is one of the best sequences oh, of the season yeah. so far. I think when I watched that, <laughs> I kind of decided like he is the true unicorn. That's what the nickname should be reserved for and for Porzingis only. Because every night, 
I mean, he almost plays like a unicorn, um, and he provides that highlights on a nightly basis. So just for his production and just how funny he is to watch, and and you know how good he's been in this main role with Carmelo leaving. I mean, people people were wondering how good he would be on his own. Will he be able to handle the production workload? So far, so good for the for Porzingis, the unicorn, and so far, so good for the Knicks. So just wanted to give a shout-out to Porzingis and recognize his great play. So you can round us out with your third point of the week. All right. So my last point is looking back on the Celtics' comeback against the Thunder this past Friday. Um, a game of halves is what it was. Boston had a horrible first half and really rebounded with the second one. Just wanted to give a couple numbers to show some insight on that. The Celtics shot 31% from the field in the first half. They were out-rebounded by three, 26-23, and they turned the ball over seven times. And they 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 really seemed out of sorts. Kyrie Irving only had three points in the first half. Al Horford didn't do any better. By the end of the half, they were down 18 points, and you know we all, myself included, assumed it was over. And then they just started awakening. Al woke, started attacking the basket, getting some fouls. Kyrie started scrapping. Their defense really clamped up and, and made some impacts. And just in the last quarter alone, Horford scored 13 points by himself in the fourth quarter, including three for three from deep. Kyrie went off constantly. He dropped 13 points, had four assists, um, came with the, the five-point play that I mentioned earlier. We made the shot, had a free throw, rebounded, put it back. They, they all came back. And out of his 25 points that Kyrie Irving scored, he scored 22 in the second half. And just the way they played down the stretch, especially – as you, as you mentioned earlier, with this young roster, with these injuries, it's really showing the, the benefit of, of having just a great statistician as, as Brad Stevens, but also players who buy in. Kyrie Irving, obviously needing to prove himself, really coming in, stepping up, Al Horford playing very solidly. I really question how he would play this, this season, and so far, he's been very good. And I think I just wanted to go into those stats real quick, because that was astounding to me, how their defense woke up and they were active and they were swarming. They were pressuring George and, and Mello and, and even Russell Westbrook at times to those kind of long twos that Boston wants them to take. And on the offensive end, they just executed to perfection. So I'm going to give a, a quick highlight on them and, and why I really – that game was really interesting to me as to see the Celtics wake up and really come together and I'll see the Sun Thunder continue to try to put it, put it together. Yeah, it really was a very interesting game and a really good game down the stretch and – it's a nice third point that'll round us out. That'll finish up our three-point segment of the week. And in just a moment, we'll be moving on to something foul. Now, it's time for something foul. All right, so our something foul is basically our worst of the week. Something, a team, a player, organization, something NBA-related that we've seen you know, the negative view in our opinion. And my something foul really briefly is, is are the Washington Wizards. So they're probably one of, if not the team that talks the most trash in the league, but they somehow don't seem to ever be able to back it up. And I know they got a good win today on the road against the Raptors without John Wall, but they talked trash before that Warriors game. I'm not exactly sure. I've, I don't remember exactly what, who or what was said before that game, but I do remember them talking trash. And then Ultimately, they lost that game down the stretch, especially after that Bradley Beal brawl with uh, – not brawl, but he initiated a kind of takedown with uh, Draymond Green. And then before the Cavs game, which you just mentioned as one of your three points, Bradley Beal says that they think that they're the best team in the East, which you never do before you play LeBron James and the Cavs. And then LeBron, of course, goes off for 57 points, 11 rebounds, and 7 assists, and a big Cavs win in Washington. 
my thing with the Wizards is you got to stop talking trash until you win. You got to make a conference finals. You got to show, you know, we can talk trash because, hey, we can back it up. We can win. We can win when it counts. We can make the conference finals. We can do this. We can do that, etc. You've got to stop talking trash if you haven't been able to back it up in the past and clearly in the present doesn't seem like you can be able to back it up as well. So for their ability to talk trash and lack of ability to back it up, the Washington Wizards are my something foul of the week, short and sweet, but just something I wanted to get off uh, my chest and kind of my complaint about the Wizards talking so much trash without being able to back it up. So that's my something foul. Corbin, I'll swing it to you for your something foul before we move on to our final segment. All right. So my something foul, also short, Dwayne Wade. Um, Today, you know, Cavs lose to the Hawks. Dwayne Wade had his best game in a Cavs uniform, 25 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists. And, you know, it, w- it was a tough loss. The Cavs tried a late comeback, fell short, they lost 117-115. I think because he had such a good stat line, the first real good game he's had since he's been in Cleveland, you know, Wade obviously frustrated, felt that he needed to say something to the press. Unfortunately, it was what he said that, that irks me. And this was the quote. I want one time for the first unit to get on the second unit because we blew a lead. I'm waiting for that day to happen. All I have to say to Dwayne Wade is, bruh. <laughs> Seriously. This was the exact same type of talk that got you in trouble last year. You and Jimmy Butler, when you said, turn your teammates, when you said, I don't know if they care enough. I would just say everyone's going to go home and not eat. I can look at Jimmy and say he's doing my job. Jimmy can look at me and say I'm doing my job. I mean, when he did that, then Rondo had to clap back. That whole thing, that mm-hmm. nearly imploded the Bulls season last year. Why do you want to do that again to an even more shakier team with higher expectations than your middling Bulls team? Now, to be fair, I actually have the last – for each of the Cavs' six losses, I have their first quarter scores. Um, they're down 36-18 to the Magic. They were down 26-23 to the Nets. 35 to 22 to the Pelicans. They were down 29 to 19 to the Knicks. 30 to 29 to the Pacers and 37 to 28 to the Hawks. Yes, we get it. They've been down. They struggle with first quarters. They seem to be this this offensive malaise that they have to like wake up out of. However, calling your teammates out, especially in this fragile time where you're really trying to get together with championship aspirations, you're a veteran. You're 35 years old. You've been through this before. You do not need to do that. Please, like, bro, wake up. Look at your team. Go, hey, we'll get it together. Take the LeBron route. We're not going to point the finger, but we obviously need to do better. That's all you have to say. And that irked me. Come on, man. Dwayne Wade, you, you, you can do better. You better do this. <laughs> that's that's my worst of the week. Ugh. Some foul up here. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just the wrong approach to take from Wade. So that, that's our. those are our something fouls of the week. And uh, Corbin, you ready to move on to the final segment? All right, let's do it. We're going with the and one. Let's get to it. Finally, it's time for the and one. All right. So for the and one, I'm just going to go very briefly. I've personally liked what I've seen from the Chicago Bulls and specifically Larry Markin and how they've been playing. Yes, they, they... they, they made a, a competitive game out of their loss yesterday to the Pelicans. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing I've, – I've called them – and this has been called before, but the young Terribles. <laughs> see what I did there? <laughs> yeah. But I'm really looking forward to see what they do now. They have a road trip coming up that has them playing seven out of their next ten on the road, including games against the Raptors, the Spurs, and the Warriors. Yes, they'll probably lose all three. But <laughs> how they play 
and and how they bounce back, knowing that hey, we're going against a murderer's raw here, and and how you know these teams adjust to Larry Markkinen, how he adjusts to being more of a primary offensive weapon until at least Zach Levine comes back. They're, they're a team I'm intrigued by. As I said, they're one of the intriguing bad teams out there, and so it'll be interesting to see how they do on this November long road trip. It seems. What about you and your N one, man? Yeah, for my N one, I'm going to stay in the same division. I'm actually going to stay with the, the Detroit Pistons. We've talked about them a little bit, um, especially in uh, full court press. They're currently seven and three, and and the reason they're my N one is because they have this next very interesting five game stretch. So they play the Pacers, the Hawks, and the Heat at home, three game home stand. Then they go to Milwaukee and to Indiana. So those are not. Like, obviously, the Hawks are really bad. Miami's a pretty good team and can give them a fight. Milwaukee's a good team. The Pacers have been kind of hit or miss as well. They're not really a bad team, but they're not a great team. It's a stretch that could show how good the Pistons are. I mentioned earlier their stats. They're pretty much average on both ends of the floor and average on, on in net rating. So this five-game stretch, can they go 3-2? and two? Can they go 4-1? and one? Can they really set themselves up nicely in the East as a true contender for a top three, top four seed? Or... Will they disappoint with a two and three or one and four stretch? I doubt. You know, maybe I could see two and three, but this stretch is not that hard. But it provides some kind of test with them. A couple of ind- uh, division opponents and rivals for the Pistons. Currently seven and three to really make their stand and make their mark in the Eastern Conference. So for that reason, the Pistons are my and one of the week, and that'll conclude our show, our six segments for today's episode. Um, again, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA. Uh, you can follow the site slash podcast on Twitter at the 94 feet report. And of course you can check out the website, 94 feet report.com. We've had a bunch of great content the past week. Of course, we'll have even more content in the coming week. And uh, we'll actually be, um, opening our another round of applications to add a couple of writers and possibly an editor not this week but the, the following week so you know the week of november 13th i believe on the top of my head so be on the lookout for that corbin you can uh, tell them where they can follow you and find your work as well all right so corbin ford mba um again i'm also gonna plug 94 feet report 94 feet report i don't know what i just said um we got to get great cast of writers great basketball minds up there Eric, great boss. You, you hear his content. He knows what he's talking about. Um, by all means, if, if you're listening and you're interested in joining the team, come on. It's, it's, it's a great little group we got over here. All right, guys. So be sure to follow us and the website on Twitter um, and have a great week of watching NBA basketball. We'll be back on Thursday with our uh, kind of 30-minute uh, unedited, unsegmented episode as well. Take care, guys.